There we go. We are beginning a new study today, and uh, I'm uh, kind of kicking it off. Uh, we talked about several different things to do, and we decided to use this book. Uh, Dave Miller did this many years ago, Summer of the Bible. It's got a, uh, a summary of each uh, book of the Bible uh, in it. Uh, and he did a really good job. Okay, I mean, it just, just an excellent job. And in doing this, uh, it hit me that uh, if, you, if you have one of those uh, Apologetics Press Defending the Faith Bibles, you have his whole book in that Bible. And what they did, they lifted this information out of that book and put it in front of each chapter of that Bible. So you already have this book, if you have that Bible. And on top of that, if you're not familiar, Apologetics Press has now come out with this Bible. It's not the big Bible, but it is a Defending the Faith Bible. Uh, it doesn't have everything in it that the large Bible does. It's got a a lot of things about reasons to believe and apologetics in the front and a lot of things about the gospel in the back. And this is actually the Bible that we gave out this year at uh, the fall festival, okay? Uh, we always give out Bibles at the fall festival and the ones uh, that we had been giving out, uh, it was in the New King James Version and for some reason uh, they wouldn't let them do that anymore and Apologetics Press came out with these about that same time. And these little Bibles here, you bought them in book, they were seven books. Okay? And they are an excellent little Bible. And many, many, many of uh, your people around here, your friends and people you might meet, and if they came to our uh, fall festival, they received one of these. So, James, if you can help me, if you have one of the large defending the faith Bibles, you don't need one of these. But I thought we'd do something new and different in a Bible study lesson we'd give out Bibles. That way you've got that book in this Bible, okay? And if you don't have one of these, you really do need one because you'll know what your friends and neighbors have. And you'll say, wow, I can talk to them about this stuff, and you can. Yeah. And it, it, it's, yeah, there's plenty of them up here. And it's... Uh, it's a nice reference Bible, and you'll also be able to read and study up on all the books we're going to be covering in the New Testament with this, okay? There you go. But if you don't need one, just let them know when they come by. If you already have one of the uh, others, you don't need one of these because you got the same thing. Matter of fact, the other one has a lot more stuff in it, and... Uh, I don't own one of those. Uh, I think each of my children do. And I was looking through James's this morning, and he had several things in that Bible that I pulled some other information on. He's got them in that Bible. <laughs> it, it's really, it's really a good uh, study reference Bible. But we're going to be starting in Matthew, so you'll go ahead and open that Bible up to the beginning of Matthew. There, you will see where I'm going to start. 
Um, and you've got what I've got in this book right here. And what I think is neat about having that Bible is, see, this book, it has a summary of Matthew, but you don't have Matthew here. In that Bible, you do. You got a summary of Matthew, and you can look it up and look up the scriptures, and it's all right there. Okay? I don't know if you've ever used a New King James Version before. I've always used the King James Version. I have started using the New King James Version some because the app on my phone had several different versions there. One thing I really like about it, and you'll find it in this Bible also, anytime there's a quote from the Old Testament, it's capitalized. And you see it instantly that that is a quote from the Old Testament. If you're reading through the New Testament and it's a quote, you'll see that, that it is capitalized and you know, oh, okay, that, um, the writer here is actually quoting something from the Old Testament. And then you can reference it and look it up and to me, that's very helpful. But uh, I'm, uh, I, don't, I don't know every time they quoted <laughs> from the Old Testament, so it's real nice to have it there. And you can, and you can reference it. Okay? All right. We're going to start uh, with the book of Matthew. And uh, again, Dave Miller's done a great job with a summary of the book of Matthew there. We're going to start and go over some of that. Uh, first of all, you know, in the Bible, the first four books are the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay? The first three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are, are what a lot of people refer to as synoptic Gospels. That's a big fancy word that means they're very similar. Okay? In other words, uh, they tell a lot of the same accounts. Some of them use similar phrases. They use similar chronology. They may follow the same. They're very similar. John is, is very different from the Synoptic Gospels, okay? Uh, if you look, I've got the, another Bible I reference a lot. Uh, where's my Bible so easy? I know I had you bring it. Uh, <laughs> this one, I've had... How many years have you been married? Anyway, I, uh, right after, not long after we married, uh, my mother-in-law came across these Bibles, and at the time I was needing a new Bible, and uh, I have really enjoyed this Bible. This one's out of print now. You won't find this one in print. The New Analytical Study Bible, uh, John A. Dixon, love this Bible. Okay, I mean, you, you have one, Larry, you have one. Love it. I mean, have you ever seen so much information? The only thing I can see that is uh, uh, kind of comparable is this one from Apologetics Press with, with all the, the history of the books, and I'm going to be using this quite a bit too to reference this. But, uh, but it's got a lot of information, and the reason I brought that up, when you uh, start looking at the Gospels in this and you go to the end of it, uh, end of the Gospels, it, it refers to them and shows you a lot of different things about them. And you can tell how different John is from the rest of them. I'm just going to give you this for instance. This Bible has the parables in chronological order listed on the chart. Okay? In the book of Matthew, there's 14 parables. In the book of Mark, there's four parables. You know, quite a few less, or quite a bit less. In Luke, there's 18 parables. Okay? 
In John, there's zero parables. Did I tell you how that's a little different? All the rest of the books, and I mean, it's it, it's amazing. But you wouldn't really think of that unless it's laid out for you. At least I wouldn't. No, I, I, but I got to have stuff kind. But anyway, uh, John again is not one of the synoptic gospels. The other three are now. Getting back to Matthew, as far as uh, who wrote the book, we know Matthew was an apostle. And if you look at the uh, first part of the book here, what did I do in my book? I threw it down somewhere over here. Um, uh, you know he was a tax collector, okay? And what do we know about tax collectors back in that time? Of course, I kind of like that back in this time too. But uh, back in that day, what about those tax collectors? What now? Not very honest. Not very, honest. very dishonest people, okay? Matter of fact, a lot of them got real rich being tax collectors and charge you more than they should to people. And then, of course, Roman government didn't really care if they did that as long as they got what they were supposed to have. They just kind of skimmed off top, you know, and they, and they kept and, and got wealthy because of that. Because of that situation, they weren't honest, they skimmed off the top and charged people more than they should. What did the people think about them? I hated them. They were, I mean, despised, looked down upon, especially... If you were like Matthew, if you were a Jew and you were collecting for the Roman government, think about how that made you look. You're a Jew. You're over there taxing the Jewish people and tax collectors, again, known as being dishonest people, but you're charging Jewish people for the Roman oppressors. They were their oppressors. They were over them at that time. They, they were the lords over the Jewish people at that time charging them taxes. So again, at that time, Matthew came from a pretty despised uh, bunch of people. If you look up there, uh, it tells you, uh, let's see, uh, Matthew's surname was Levi. Uh, it tells you that in Mark 2, 14, he mentions that. And then um, as far as when this book was written, internally, if you, uh, if Matthew chapter 24, if you're familiar with that chapter, it talks, uh, it's when uh, Christ, uh, the apostles ask about, well, what do you mean about this temple being destroyed and that kind of thing? And Christ goes through uh, the destruction of the temple, the end of the world, and those type of things. That chapter is basically answering two different questions when that temple is going to be destroyed. And we know that happens to trucks in Jerusalem, okay, by the Romans when they destroyed that. And then later on in the chapter, Christ talks about the end of the world. Well, when uh, Matthew wrote this book, uh, he was talking about Christ predicting the destruction of Jerusalem. So uh, this book, from internal uh, things that we have, said, so well, it's written before the destruction of Jerusalem, okay? Which y'all know that happened in AD 70. Destruction of Jerusalem. So this is written uh, prior to AD 70. You know, having to pinpoint a date, I'm not sure you will, but... Uh, Written before it. Now, you think about it. If it's written before AD 70, when was Christ crucified? He was about 33 years old, something like that. So AD 33, that you know, they maybe a few years there off on the calendar. 33, 36, something. So you're talking about not but 35 years removed, okay, from when Christ was crucified. Uh, so this is uh, more than likely the first gospel written. Okay, more than likely the first gospel written. 
And he again goes down and he makes his point. There are five great discourses in this book, in this gospel. Number one, you're all familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. All right, one of the most famous sermons ever preached. Okay, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapters five through seven. Uh, then the second great discourse, instructions given on the occasion of the sending out of the twelve. That's in chapter 10. What do we usually call that, the sending out of the twelve? Limited commission. Why do we call it limited? Only went to the Jews, right? He sent them out. And if you notice, my wife and I were reading kind of through some of this as we're studying. They could do miracles then, couldn't they? He gave them the ability to do miracles and cast out demons and all those kinds of things, but they only went to the Jewish people. And that's why we call the other one the Great Commission, because it was going to all the world and preach the gospel. But the first one was the Limited Commission, where he sent the apostles out only to the Jewish people. Of course, that was prophesied as go to the Jews first and to the Gentiles, and it did. All right? But. Anyway, uh, that's when he sent them out, chapter 10. Number three, the kingdom parables. Now, we just finished up studying parables, didn't we? So we talked about those when we, when we talked about our parables and how the kingdom and the references to them and what they were like and how the kingdom was you know, compared to several different things. Uh, and that's uh, in chapter 13. And then uh, the fourth discourse Dealing with the feelings of pride and superiority in the kingdom. All right, now, if you know anything about kingdoms very much, people that are associated with that, any kind of kingdom, I mean, you could say even in our uh, government, although we're not a kingdom as such, people are constantly pursuing wealth and power, aren't they? That's what they want. They want wealth and power. Power in particular, because with power comes wealth. Because if you have power over people, then you can have power over finances and power over businesses. And so that's what the normal world thinks about when they think about a kingdom or being big in the government, being high up in the, the, the tier of the government. You're going to get wealth and power. That's not what Christ said about his kingdom, right? You see, opposite, you know. If you're going to be great in this kingdom, you're going to be a servant. That's not what people were used to hearing, okay? So he had to do some explaining on that, okay? Uh, and then, of course, he uh, number five, we just referenced it, predictions about the fall of Jerusalem in chapter 24 and the second coming. That's also in chapter 24. And he makes his point. And you never really thought about it, but once you read it, you know it does that. Each discourse ends with the same refrain, when Jesus had finished these sayings. Okay? So Matthew spends a lot of time talking about the teachings of Christ. And you know, I think it's interesting, and that was, this point was made in uh, that Bible I was talking about. All these Gospels, they're not written as in somebody writing like a biography about somebody. They're written in such a way that you get to know Christ through his own teachings. 
They write them like that. They don't tell you about Christ. They, they let Christ do the talking and they refer to Him and let Him do His teachings and you learn Christ through His own teaching and His own works and His miracles and how He interacted with people. You learn about Christ through what He actually did, not them just telling you about it. Okay? And so I, I thought that was a pretty interesting point that the Gospels introduce us to Christ like that. Okay. Uh, before I get into the outline, I want to, uh, let me see, I think he, oh, turn, uh, if, you, if you haven't done so, go to where it says central theme, okay, if you've got that Bible, maybe on the next page, I'm not sure where it's located, but you see the word central theme there? Right after that, it says, addressing himself to the Jews, Matthew in particular was written to the Jewish people. This got now, it's not that everybody can't benefit from it, but in particular, this gospel was written with the Jewish audience in mind. When you're writing or when you're speaking or whatever else, you, you keep in mind the audience and, and what you're trying to accomplish by that. The reason we know that, if you look through the book of Matthew, and we'll talk about that in a minute too, but I'm going to get over to this, and uh, I hate to read verbatim from stuff, but I don't know how you better say this. Again, in this Bible I reference, the Dixon Analytical, the gospel for the Jew. The design of this gospel is in setting forth the messianic claims of Jesus is in a manner to satisfy the Jew has been briefly noted uh, earlier in this thing. Uh, Mark did that and in preparation for the gospel, characteristics of the Jew must be considered. Number one, the one fact that has been impressed upon the Jewish mind from the beginning of their history was that they were divinely chosen, set apart as a peculiar people through whom the redemptive process of Jehovah would be achieved. The Jews knew that. They were looking for a Messiah, weren't they? And they were looking for that Messiah to come through their people. Matter of fact, they were looking for him to come from where? From whose line? David's line, right? He's supposed to be a descendant of David. He was supposed to set up a kingdom that would never be destroyed. Now, in their minds uh, at that time, that kingdom, like David's kingdom, was going to be an earthly kingdom. That, that was something they had to really shake. And it took quite a while for that to happen. But they were still looking for a kingdom. And the gospel of the Jew must be the gospel of the fulfillment of prophecy. How many times had the Jewish people heard about the prophesied Messiah and had read those prophecies and knew those prophecies, could quote those prophecies? knew where the Messiah was going to be born. A lot of other things about the Messiah they were familiar with. So if you're going to write to the Jew, you've got to include all that stuff. You've got to convince the Jew that Christ is of the line of David. He has the right to be on that throne. And that He's going to fulfill all these prophecies. And if you're writing down a gospel to the Jews you're going to be sure that you hit 
where many, many, many of those prophecies were fulfilled. And the Jewish people could say, yeah, I see that. Okay. Yeah, he, he's the fulfillment of all these prophecies. So he is the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. Now, other Gospels address other things, but uh, Matthew in particular. Um, let me this last little... Okay. Matthew consistently keeps before his people the Old Testament Scriptures and by quotations and allusions refers to them nearly 100 times and to the prophets about 50 times. If you're writing to the Jewish people, what are they going to be familiar with? The Old Testament, right? That's their scriptures. That's what they go by. That's what they study. That's what they know. So he's quoting it. He's referring to it. He's talking about the prophecies. And that whole Jewish audience realizes that. Oh, okay. This is because, you know, again, they were looking for that kingdom. And I believe it. Let me see where he says it. I think it's right after that. Uh, no. Uh, look down where it says central theme. Almost at the end of that paragraph. It says the basic message of the book is summarized in chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Let's just read this. This is Christ talking here, okay? Remember, Matthew's writing to Jewish people. They're expecting this Messiah. They're wanting this Messiah. They're wanting to... But they're also very attached to and have been living by the old law for all these years. Chapter 5, verse 17, Christ speaking. Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For surely I say unto you, to heaven and earth pass away, one jot or tittle will by no means pass from the law, till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why was that important to the Jew? It's important to the Jew because Christ is fulfilling that old law. He's not just coming to destroy it and just take it out. I'm going to hold brand new. No, I'm not teaching you something brand new as far as this is bad. and don't. I'm teaching you something that is the fulfillment of what you always known and learned. And that was important to them that he was the fulfillment of all of those prophecies, all that Old Testament scripture, always pointing to the Messiah, that Messiah was him. All right? Now, questions or comments thus far?
Their whole lives, they were a special, peculiar people. And including the Gentiles, was difficult for them. It was. It was because uh, now, again, that's part of that earthly kingdom mindset too. We're going to set up a kingdom, an earthly kingdom, be separate from everybody else. That wasn't the fulfillment of the law, was it? It was going to be a worldwide kingdom. It was going to accept everyone. That was that 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 was a lot different than what they had in mind. Yes. Even though they had all the law and the fulfillment of Christ, they still could not most of them still could not understand because they were born persons. We've got people today that has a slight problem with God. Yes, sir. You know, you, you mentioned the same problem today. I, I don't know what the percentage is, but I'm going to say it's in the high 90s, okay? Of all religious bodies in uh, the religious world today, teach the end times are coming and Christ is going to come back and establish an earthly kingdom. You know how many times you hear that? I hear that at work all the time. I, I, did, I was talking to a lady the other day. Times are in. You know, Christ is coming back, going to establish that kingdom. Are people still looking for an earthly kingdom? They are. Bunches of them looking for an earthly kingdom. And, you know, I say, well, what about, uh, you know, why are they still looking for an earthly kingdom? And then go back to uh, look at Acts. Um, chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And remember, these are Christ's apostles. They've been with Him for three years. They've heard all of His teaching. They've seen Him be crucified. They've experienced the resurrection. Any, of all the people that ought to grasp something about the kingdom of Christ, what He's talking about. Look at verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked Him, saying, Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Where were they still? And this is at the ascension. Okay? And they still had that mindset. We're looking for an earthly kingdom. We want these Roman oppressors gone. We still want an earthly kingdom. Right here. Right now. Are you going to do it now? I mean, think about it. They saw him killed. Well, when he was killed, they dispersed, didn't they? They ran away. Now, he's risen from the dead. That proves he has power over everything. Surely he's going to establish that kingdom now. He can come back from the dead. When did they finally get it? You remember? What had to happen to them for them to finally fully comprehend everything that Christ had taught? He told them when they were going to get it. What? Day of Pentecost, after they got the Holy Spirit and they had a full understanding of everything that had been taught. A full remembrance. They comprehended it all. And then they could teach it as it should be taught. And write it down so we could understand it. Yes. Abraham was promised that all nations Well, you know, that, or they figured, well, if we're a good earthly power, and then everybody's going to be blessed because we're good. I mean, you know, you can look at that a lot of different ways. But they didn't see it 
in that spiritual light that, that God meant it when He said it to Abraham and that Christ meant it when He talked about His kingdom that they were all looking for that physical earthly kingdom. And again, people are doing that still today. Okay? They're wanting that physical or, you know, and it's, it's not uncommon. And, and, you know, sometimes you think back and you want to see this happen too. You want to see wrongs righted right now. Okay? I want to see them righted right now. I want to see somebody get what's coming to them right now. <laughs> you know, that's a human feeling, okay? It's a human thought. Well, if, if you're of that mindset and you've been taught, from whatever religious leaders that have been teaching you that that's going to happen. Christ is going to come back. He's going to set up a kingdom and a thousand year reign and He's going to correct every wrong on this earth. That'd be very appealing. Okay? To a human mindset, that'd be very appealing. But we know that's not going to happen on this earth. Is God going to mete out just desserts to people? Yes, He is. Okay? That's going to be an eternity. That's going to be uh, at the day of judgment. And people will, will get their just desserts, if you will, and what they should. Now, again, that, that's a different mindset, though, than an earthly kingdom. But again, uh, it's something that the uh, apostles had to deal with also. Now, back to again being written to the Jews. And if you've got uh, the study Bible from AP, you've got this in your, or at least... You, you've got that in your, uh, your study Bible. It's not in that little Bible I gave you. That's one of the things that's not in there. Uh, what it is, and this again was written by David Miller, the genealogies of Matthew and Luke. Um, Mark is going to be teaching the book of Luke. In Matthew, uh, we have a genealogy, and Luke has a genealogy. If you've ever studied that very much before, you, you notice there's differences in those genealogies. Okay. Matter of fact, uh, critics of the Bible have jumped on that for years and said, oh, that's a discrepancy. The genealogy is not the same and all that kind of... Well, if you look at what's been studied about that and look at how it's been studied and why it was done that way, you understand a lot more about it. Matthew and Luke both, and you can look that up. I'm just going to mention it until you can go back and study it yourself. Luke goes all the way back to where? Remember Adam? He goes all the way back to the beginning. Okay, beginning of the world. They both end up at Abraham. Okay, that's where Matthew starts. Now, why would Matthew start at Abraham? Who's he writing to? Jews. <laughs> or what's their most important figure besides Moses? Probably Abraham, right? He's the father. You know, the father of Jews. All right, so Matthew is trying to show that Christ is of the line of Abraham comes through David. Now, Luke, he's going to show the same thing, but he's going to show it in a different, different way. And let me see if I can explain it without getting too convoluted here. And then, again, I would suggest you go, if you don't have one of those AP Bibles, go to the genealogies of Matthew and Luke, Apologetics Press website. Dave Miller wrote that. But anyway, so they both start, or they both get to the point of Abraham. Luke starts back at Adam. But they get down to David. Okay? And they both have exactly the same people from Abraham to David. All right? They line up. Then, with Solomon, it splits off and goes different. Okay? Here's the reason why. 
Uh, Matthew goes through Solomon and takes it through the paternal line or the male heir. Okay? Whereas uh, Luke takes it with uh, Solomon's brother Nathan and goes through the maternal line. Now, they both end up at the same place because Joseph and Mary are related. Never heard of relatives getting married before, have you? <laughs> they did. Well, Joseph and Mary are related. Joseph through Solomon, Mary through Nathan, Solomon's brother. But here's why it's important also. We know that Joseph was not Jesus' father as far as a bloodline goes in the flesh. Okay? So why would it be important to show that Joseph ends up at the end of that bloodline? Legally, it was important. Matthew, Matthew is showing that Christ had the legal right to sit on David's throne. At least that's what has been explained to me. Whereas through Mary, maternal line, it shows that Christ had what? The bloodline. He was bloodline connected to David through Nathan, uh, Solomon's brother. Legally, he had it through. He had it both ways. Okay. Legally and bloodline. Because we know, again, Joseph was not his dad. Uh, adopted father, stepfather, whatever you want to call him. But he was not uh, Jesus' dad. But yet, legally, Jesus had the right to the throne through Joseph also. Okay? That makes sense? That's the best way I can do explaining. And, and if you got confused, get on that. He explains it a whole lot better than I did. Okay? He can do a much better job. But that's why those genealogies uh, do not end up being the same, okay? Because one uh, from, from uh, David on, one goes to the paternal line and one goes to the maternal line, okay? And that's, that's the difference, or if you would, some people call that a discrepancy. It's not a discrepancy, it's just different, okay? One is trying to show one thing and the other author is trying to show something else, okay? And if I mess that up, Mark, you can clear it up, you know. When you, when you teach Luke, okay? <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll stop right there for questions and comments. We're getting 10, 13. Of course, that's a little fast. We just relaxed 10, 10. But any questions or comments so far? Okay. Now, outline. If you look, go back to the beginning uh, of your book. Uh, where it says outline here. He does it. Now, there's all sorts of different outlines. This, this Bible I have, it's got an outline that's different than this outline, okay? But Dave does a good job with his outline, and there's all sorts of different ways to look at this. But number one, he says in chapters one through four, and actually verse 11 in chapter four, it lays out the king's earthly credentials. We just got talking about why with that talks about his birth, his baptism, the temptation of Christ, all those kinds of things that we need to know, number one, that he is the Messiah, that number two, he can relate to us through his temptation because he is human uh, as well as being God. He is also human and can be tempted. He, he withstood those temptations. And of course, he had the baptism of John there also. All right, and of course, we've already gone through the 
genealogy and the conception. And that we, didn't, we didn't talk about the conception. Of course, that was one of the predictions also, which, let me see, I think it's in this one, and I probably won't have time today, but we are going to talk about uh, uh, several of the different, uh, pro I think it would be interesting to look at those different prophecies that were fulfilled uh, in, uh, in Matthew uh, from the Old Testament. So we'll be looking at that later. And then um, he's got uh, chapter 4, verse 12, through chapter 14, verse 12, talking about uh, Christ's Galilean ministry. He launched his ministry, preaching on the mountainside, that's Sermon on the Mount, his total power and preeminence over disease, distance, demons, death, sin, culture, nature. Think about that. Why did Matthew have to write down examples of all those kinds of things? That his, his preeminence over total power over disease and distance and demons and death and sin. What was the point? What's Christ again? God on earth. If you are God on earth, Emmanuel, God with us, what are you going to have preeminence over? Everything. There's nothing you can't do. Nothing. You can heal diseases. You can cast out demons. You can walk on water. You can just you can do all sorts of things because you're God. The, the, the laws of nature have no effect on you. You can change those at will. You can do whatever you need to do and whatever you want to do when you want to. Isn't that the definition of a God? Yes, it is. That is the definition of a God. Having total control over... And think about it. Why would Christ on earth have total control over this earth? He what? I didn't hear you painting what you said too. He's the creator. He created it. If you created it and you made up all the laws of nature, are you going to have total control over that? Yeah, you are because you created it to begin with. We'll, we'll start there next week and probably finish Matthew and get into Mark too.